passage today is Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks Thanks be be to God. So we have been going through our sermon series on Hebrews, and maybe you've noticed that we've slowed down a little bit. We were taking some whole chapters at a time, but in chapter 10, the author goes through a number of just key concepts uh, to be able to understand as he transitions and moves from a really long section that has run from about chapter 7 through the end of chapter 10. And so um, we picked Hebrews to be able to uh, look at what and how Christians should act and live in today's society and culture, what it means to be God's people, instead of uh, kind of having a Twitter-sized theology or a bumper sticker theology, we want to go deeper into who God is and who He is shaping His people to be. Did anyone read Great Expectations when they were in high school? Did anybody have to do this? Charles Dickens. I remember reading it and going, I don't know what just happened. Very confused. I think I was in like 11th grade and made no sense to me. Maybe you remember, though, names like Pip, Estella, Mrs. Havisham. Pip tries his hand. He is the young boy, the orphan boy who is taken in by his sister, and then he helps a convict. Uh, Ultimately, he kind of lives with or near uh, this beautiful young uh, woman, Estella, and he falls greatly in love with her. He tries to fit into the high-class society of the day, but in the end, he finds that it is just a cruel culture that goes nowhere. His love toward Estella is unrequited, His social ladder climbing can never get him high enough to be good enough to be uh, accepted in this uh, Victorian culture. His benefactor, he learns, is a convict, even the one who is kind of caring for him. He finds out the hard way that wealth and honesty and kindness do not go hand in hand. And behind the facade of this beautiful life, he finds a deep and vast ugliness. Life never quite lives up to his expectations and hopes for what it could be. I think we too have great expectations about our lives and what they're going to look like. We get to certain points in our life and we think that everything's going to be all worked out, that we're going to have comfort and pleasure and we're going to have this life of ease and retirement. But the reality is that we get gobsmacked gobsmacked by what life hands us. 
We thought we would have perfect health. We thought we would have wealth and comfortability. We thought we would have ease, but instead we find sufferings, trials, hardships, and persecutions in all sorts of ways that are often unexpected. Jobs that don't quite live up to what they said they would be. Marriages that just fall apart. And it's in this place that we begin to wonder, how do we continue? How do we continue in life? How do we continue in the life of faith? I thought this was going to be easy at some point, and we're tired and we're weary from facing all these sorts of troubles. How do we continue? The author of Hebrews here encourages us two things, remember and run. Remember and run. Remember verses 32 through 34. He says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession an abiding one. Remember, he says, remember the former hardships. Remember what you had before. Remember what you faced when you first became a Christian, when you were first enlightened, he said, when you first came to faith. Remember what you were willing to put up with. And remember how God was with you. You faced sufferings. You faced struggles, both personal and communal. You faced reproach. You had public Verbal insults thrown at you all day long. I can't believe you believe that stuff. Wow. Incredible, right? The first Christians faced this as well. Um, They were called Christians, which meant little Christs. um, And it was very much making fun of them and who they were. They were called atheists because they had no place to worship. They had no idols that they had set up to be able to... um, they were called atheists because they didn't. They there was no visible god that they worshipped. They were made fun of all the time. Those are the the things we have recorded. They were also called many other things as well as we are today. They faced persecutions. They faced afflictions and violence. Their property was plundered. Um, they were imprisoned for the things they believed. We have the long story of Paul and how he was arrested and how he went to Rome um, and spent most of his life in jail because of his faith. But he says, you, were, you endured this as well. It's a past tense. It's looking back, right? These people that he's writing stood their own, their own ground and remained on the battlefield and prevailed as well. That's what this word means, to stand your own ground, to remain on the battlefield, to prevail against the enemy, those who come against us. More so, they had fellowship with those who were being persecuted. They spent time together. Um, they visited them in prison, and they did so with joy and compassion. Maybe you remember Miss Havisham's house in Great Expectations. The table was set for a great feast, but the food and the cake were rotted in the middle of it. We later learn that Miss Havisham was left at the altar by her fiancé. Pip falls head over heels in love with Estella in this, during this time. And he says, I loved her against reason, against promise, against peace, against hope, against happiness, against all discouragement that could be. 
once for all, I loved her nonetheless because I knew it, and I had no more influence in restraining me than if I had devoutly believed her to be human perfection. Pip loved Estella because of the beauty and all the things that came against him, all the discouragement that he had. See, Miss Havisham was training Estella to use her beauty, to use her charm, to use her ways to deceive men and to bring them into ruins, just as she was left in ruins when she was left at the altar. Miss Havisham was controlled by her own memory of unrequited love and was embittered by it. Memory is a powerful emotion. Call it an emotion because it can be both something that arises on its own, where suddenly we are transported off to a distant country that maybe we thought we had left, either good or bad, but it's also something that we can control on our own. We can jog our memories to reminisce and feel nostalgia for our grandparents' house at the holidays, for the freedom that we had in our youth, or whatever we want to remember, whatever we want to bring to mind, which is why our author instructs us to remember. Remembering was a vital practice in Old Testament Israel. There are many prayers that begin, Baruch Hashem Adonai, blessed be the name of the Lord who... Baruch Akta Adonai, blessed are you, God, who? And then these Hebrew blessings then recount all the ways that God had delivered the Israelites. Psalm 66 has this construct throughout it as the psalmist remembers how God delivered him from his suffering. Psalm 136 reminds the congregation how God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, even now as they are in exile in Babylon. The feasts that the Israelites took, uh, took part in, that they celebrated, uh, always reminded them of what God had done in their lives. Hannah and I were talking uh, this morning about the Feast of Succoth, the Feast of the Booths or Tents, which just happened this, last, this, this weekend, what, Friday and Saturday night, right? Um, and how it was a reminder of God's presence both past presence as they walked through the desert as they were um, making their way to the promised land, how Jesus was with them and tabernacled, it tells us, the, the, uh, John, the Gospel of John tells us, and how we will eventually be brought into his presence again. We do this, they did this to give themselves the strength to endure the struggles that they face, and we do it now as well. Now, the author is talking about persecution here. Uh, We don't often face the same kind of persecution that the early Christians did or that many other Christians do in this uh, day and age. But persecution is synonymous, synonymous with Christ, with Christianity. The early Christians experienced it uh, from the Roman state as they were arrested or stoned. Um, anywhere the state religion is not Christianity, Christians are persecuted. In 2021, Open Doors Ministry said every day 13 Christians are killed because of their faith. Twelve churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Twelve Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned. Five are abducted every day. In 2023, so far, 5,621 Christians have been murdered, 2,110 churches have been attacked, 
4,542 Christians have been detained. One in seven Christians are persecuted worldwide. Those are pretty high numbers. Um, U.S. and the U.S., um, we don't face persecution like many of our brothers and sisters do across the world, um, but we often, uh, often face ridicule. We could be made fun of, often leads to us being more quiet about our faith, not speaking up like we should, perhaps, um, and just keeping our mouths shut. Um, maybe we should open them a little more. Maybe we should welcome the persecution that we face. Um, I don't think we should be surprised if it turns into more persecution um, than it has been. Uh, if it happened to Jesus, it will happen to us as well. It still is legal for us to be Christians. I pray and hope that it stays that way, but I know that it might become a time where that is no longer the case. Have you ever faced persecution in your life? Have you suffered because of your faith? Or have you just suffered? This does not change God's promises to us. The suffering we uh, we face seems to discourage our faith, no matter how much we we face. Excuse me, those words are very similar to one another. But here's the question. How has God delivered you? What do you need to remember about who God is? More so, how can you remind others? We're not just out here by ourselves with our own feeble minds. We're made for community. We're made so that we can remind each other what God has done to deliver us from hardships and sufferings. We do that personally through prayer. We do it corporately through meeting together. Um, And maybe you notice that we pray a lot in our worship service. That is to remind us. Because our faith is not merely a mental exercise, but it's one that constantly engages God on the promises that He has promised us. Prayer is the way in which we bring our lives to God and remember what He has done to call on Him to deliver us again. Maybe you notice, again, that we pray a lot in our services. That's to get our muscles firing, to create muscle memory, to bring all things before God in prayer, to invoke His presence in our lives, to confess our sins and receive absolution and forgiveness to them, to use the Psalms to jog our memories, to make our hearts open to Him, to bring our own concerns, to pray for our children, to pray for our offerings, those things that we have, to pray um, before and after the sermon. We pray all around the table when we come to it as well, and the benediction as we go out from this place uh, to go back into, not to go back into, but to go into the world, to be scattered to strengthen our prayer muscles because remembering strengthens us to be able to run. It's the second thing that the author tells us. Look at verses 35 through 39. It says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, And will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is a great contest that we're in. 
Stay at it. Keep going. Endure in the present tense, right? Running is not running away from something. It's not escaping it, but enduring it as well. This reframes the conversation as uh, instead of shrinking back, instead of trying to escape from the suffering, it makes it a, 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 a competition to be able to win, not a punishment to avoid. It's kind of who can suffer the most, almost. Not that we seek it, but that we stay engaged in this life that God has for us. It gives us the confidence to endure. Endurance, one commentator says, is not a precondition for God making the promise, but an expression of confidence that He will keep His promise. There is a great reward, as his promise, having confidence in Christ to know that he offers something better than what we have in this life right now, that he offers us the promise of eternal life, that our life doesn't just end, that we don't have to take all the things that is offered of in this world, that we don't have to consume all the things um, that we are told we need to consume, but that we have life more abundantly in him. I think it's helpful to remember that everyone is in a competition. Everyone's competing in some way or another in this life. The question is, what, which competition do you want to be in? Do you want to be the one who has the most, the one who is most highly regarded and respected, the one who takes in and consumes all the experiences this life has to offer? The truth about Pip and the great expectations is that he was never going to belong. He was never going to win in high-class society because no one could. The game was excluding anyone else that tried to come and take your prestige. London was considered the preeminent city of the Victorian world, the place fit for a gentleman. And when he went there, where he longed to be, Pip very immediately realized that it was ugly, that it was crooked, that it was narrow and dirty. It was a place dark, dismal, and reeked of death, as did many of the people that he met there as well. They were all in a competition that led to death. The competition that Hebrews instructs us to win is that of enduring the sufferings of this world with joy and compassion Joy is that internally which we hold. It's kind of that, that personal um, energy that, that drives us, that keeps us uh, focused on who God is and what He gives to us. Compassion is that which we are able to have together. It's the external uh, sharing of the joy that we have with one another. Our author uses two cheerleaders for us. In this race, Isaiah and Habakkuk in verses 37 and 38. Habakkuk's readers were in a similar situation. They addressed uh, that, that prophet, Habakkuk the prophet, was addressed uh, to God's people in a society in social, political, economic, and religious chaos. Hebrews text speaks of the prophecy, sorry, in the Hebrew text that he wrote, it speaks of the prophecy to come. But the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation, kind of plays off of it, and it speaks of a person who is to come, one who is going, the coming one, as we have. So we're told to wait for a person who will vindicate God's righteous ones, the Messiah, we believe, Jesus himself. Because of Jesus, 
knowing that he faced suffering, that he faced persecution, that he went through the cross, not around it. The Christian's suffering, our suffering, is the only suffering that will be ultimately redeemed. One commentator said the Christian community suffered because of its faith, and for God to allow suffering to be the final word would be unjust. It is not all that we have in this world. There is more. The community of the church is our title deed to this great reward. This eternal life begins now because our expectations are not set on the riches and trivialities and playing the game of society here and now. Instead, our expectations are on experiencing the deep, rich, loving community here and now. You belong here because you hold to the confidence you have in Christ. We need the community um, because sometimes our own confidence wanes. We run weary. We need running partners. We need each other. Our faith in Christ is not an intellectual exercise, though we have doctrine. It's not a political exercise, though we do work at making this world a more just society. It's not a social club, though we have deep relationships with one another. It's Christ's church, His kingdom outpost here in this world. And we are together through both the feasting and the suffering, reminding us what Christ has done for us. I think it's helpful, I've been reminded this week, that this is not neutral ground that we are on. That it is not just, you know, um, there's, there's an either or. You are with Christ, or you are against him, and people are for you. I shouldn't say people. There are forces uh, that are for you in Christ, and there are forces against you. As we think about establishing a church, we need to remember that we are, most, we are the most affronting community to the work of the devil, He does not want this community to flourish. But our confidence comes from Jesus Christ, who said to Peter, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. This is our promise, even though it doesn't always look like this is what is going on. Our confidence comes from Jesus Christ, who faced the devil's worst on the cross and conquered death, crushing the head of the serpent, when he walked out of the tomb. Our confidence comes from Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns as is seated at the right hand of God, waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool. Our confidence comes from Jesus Christ, who sent his Holy Spirit, that same Spirit that raised him from the dead, to live within us, transforming our lives in the cruciform shape of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember and run. Charles Dickens um, was so popular uh, and has so been so influential on literature um, that Dickensian has been made into its own adjective. And it actually has two definitions to it. It can mean the squalid working or living conditions that we face. But if we describe a story as Dickensian, it is high praise because it describes a story in which true adventure and discovery occur in some of the most unexpected places. 
Charles Dickens said, there are dark shadows on the earth, but its lights are stronger than the contrast. This gospel story shines light into some of the darkest places we find ourselves in this life. But this is no great expectations. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray. Father God, we face so many discouragements and sufferings and trials in this life. Small and large, little annoyances and great um, heart-wrenching affliction. Lord, help us to remember how you are with us and how you walked with us um, through these trials previously in our lives, how we endured, how we stayed on the battlefield. Lord, give us strength to run now, to endure the sufferings that we have uh, in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would um, establish this community um, to be able to be a place where we can remember and that we can run this race together to the great reward that you have for us and your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen.